0: We have a special guest, and um, I got to meet him. Uh, let's see, a couple months ago, I think, and just to sit down over coffee and talk. And uh, it's always a blessing to to meet someone and share your heart with someone who has a kindred spirit. By that I mean someone who is committed. To building the kingdom of God, not their own kingdom. Um, I also got to briefly meet his son, um, Kalev Myers, who works, who is the founder of um, the ministry that John represents. But in any event, it's a delight to have you, John, come and uh, share the word and share the ministry with us.
1: Shabbat shalom. And it is really a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, It is my hope and prayer that you'll be able to say the same thing about me, but I can't guarantee that. That's really up to the Lord. I I have on my mind, or had on my mind, and I think it's still there, uh, what I intend to share this morning. Uh, But in speaking to... uh, rabbi this morning, do we call you rabbi or someone mentioned Chaim, I don't know what the right thing to say is, but anyway, Rabbi Chaim, I'll do it both, uh, uh, said to me, well, you need to tell people a little bit about yourself, your testimony and so on, so you're getting 30 to 45 seconds of my bio, uh, and then uh, you know, if something else comes along, okay. Anyway, just so you know a little bit of who I am, uh, I was born in 1949, around the time that uh, Noah got everybody into the ark um, in, uh, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It's a reformed Jewish home um, in the 1950s. The highlight of my life was Little League Baseball. Uh, I came from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. That might, might not mean anything to anybody, but it's the home of Little League Baseball. Okay, it's appropriate because they're actually playing right now. But anyway, so that was the highlight of my life then. I was a pitcher and a shortstop, and everything after that went downhill not really. but and, and then, and so that was the 1950s. 1960s, I was a hippie. Uh, I had, yeah, I had hair about halfway down my back. Um, in fact, I had hair uh, in the 1960s. Um, fortunately, you, you look like you don't believe me. <laughs> now, anyway, for, and fortunately in 1972, um, the Lord just supernaturally touched my life. I had a couple of experiences with the Lord that I couldn't deny and became a believer in Yeshua. So that's now more than 40 years ago. Um, By the 1980s, he had taken this old hippie and turned me into a local bank president. Uh, And at that time, we were, yeah, yeah. You know, I was always afraid that somebody was going to get a picture, you know, one of the old pictures of me and show it to people. And you know, like put it up on the wall of the bank and say, would you trust this guy with your money? You know, but they, they never did that, fortunately. Okay, so and then at that point, we were living on a mountaintop, beautiful place in, in, uh, in central Pennsylvania and watching the deer grazing the backyard and always Yeshua was the center of our lives, but kind of thought that would be a good place to, you know, just grow old. And then the Lord just turned everything upside down, which he has a way of doing, and called us to immigrate to Israel. Uh, with five of our six children, to establish a congregation in Jerusalem, uh, which we did. Uh, that congregation is called Shem and Sasan. It's ongoing, and the Lord's blessing uh, is upon it. And so I, I was there. My wife and I were there in our family. Uh, I led that congregation for approximately 20 years. Let's get started. Uh, what I want to share with you this morning is this very simple and, for me, short word. Uh, and it has to do with understanding the time in which we are now living. Uh, We'll start with uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. I love this verse. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. I like that verse because to me it says God is in control. God is the one that created time and the seasons within time. And so for every purpose of God, there is a season, a time that he's chosen for that purpose to be fulfilled. Now we read in 1 Chronicles 12 that among the tribes of Israel, there was one tribe that knew what Israel ought to do. And that tribe was the tribe of Issachar. And the reason for that knowledge was also explained to us, the children of Issachar had an understanding of the times. So understanding the times in which we're living helps us know what to do and therefore helps us to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Mordecai challenged Esther with this reality. It's Esther 4 in the the second part of verse 14. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. When Esther recognized the special time in which she had come to the kingdom, it enabled her and empowered her to embrace the opportunity that God had given to her to fulfill her purpose which was just simply to save all the Jewish people living in the Persian Empire at that time. We have all come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe that God is calling all of us to recognize the special time that we are living in history so that we can play a part in bringing to pass his purposes in the earth during our time. But before we discuss the unique time that we're living in today, which I believe is the time that the Lord is preparing for the second coming of Yeshua, I'd like to take a look at the time of his first coming and look at those who anxiously were awaiting his appearance and try to understand why they didn't recognize what God was doing during that time. During his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Yeshua wept over the city because of its blindness. Jerusalem had failed to understand the times, had failed to recognize the special day of their visitation by God. We read it in Luke 19 and and verses 41 and 42, and and then we'll read uh, the end of verse 44. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. They will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. The Jewish people were the one people group on the face of the earth who, ha- who knew that a, a Messiah was promised. They possessed... The messianic prophecies that foretold in detail his coming. And they were the ones that were anxiously awaiting and anticipating his arrival. So how did the majority of our people miss what God was doing in their time and miss to recognize that Yeshua was the Messiah? The answer is simple. He didn't come the way that we had expected him to come. And this I want you to catch it's very important to what I want to share this morning. Our experience, I'm talking about our experience of our people in that day, had centered around an earthly kingdom. At the time of Yeshua's first coming to earth, that kingdom had been under foreign political dominion for two-thirds of a millennium. First the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and finally the Romans had ruled over us. And we expected that when our Messiah would come, he would set us free from this foreign political dominion. For this reason, when a Jewish military leader named Bar Kokhba led a temporarily successful revolt against Rome in 132 AD, the most revered rabbi in Jewish history, Rabbi Akiva, proclaimed him to be both the king and the messiah. On the other hand, Yeshua's words and Yeshua's deeds failed to satisfy our messianic expectations. In his teaching, Yeshua emphasized a kingdom not of this world, but a kingdom that was within us. He was totally unconcerned with Roman political domination. In fact, he rendered what? To Caesar what was Caesar's. He didn't come as a lion, but he came as a lamb. He didn't come as a military leader or a man of war. In fact, he turned the other cheek to violence. He didn't come to rule and reign over an earthly kingdom. The crown that Yeshua came to wear was what? A crown of thorns. He didn't come to overthrow Roman rule. He came to die on a Roman cross. Now just like their countrymen who had rejected Yeshua, the disciples were also concerned about an earthly kingdom. We see this in the question that they asked Yeshua just prior to the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh on Shavuot in Jerusalem, Acts 1 and 6 through 8. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time? Now remember, we're talking about times and seasons will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority, but you'll receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. These verses are critical to understanding the time in which we now live. They speak of times and seasons and a kingdom. Now, when the disciples asked Yeshua about restoring the kingdom to Israel, he didn't say, oy vey. <laughs> forget about it. I'm done dealing with the Jewish people. I'm done dealing with the nation of Israel. And on top of that, I'm not interested in an earthly kingdom anymore. I'm only interested in a heavenly kingdom. There are a lot of theologians that would have liked him to answer something like that. But instead, he answered that the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was an issue of times and seasons that were under God's authority. At this time in history, Yeshua was directing the attention of his disciples outward toward the Gentile nations. They would go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. This season was was not just defined by God's face turning toward the Gentile nations, but tragically it was also defined by God turning his face away from the Jewish nation. The same wind of the Ruach that blew out toward the uttermost parts of the earth also blew away from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Forty years after Yeshua spoke these words, Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews who survived were scattered from one end of the earth to the other and Israel ceased to be a nation among the nations of the earth. Then after almost 2,000 years, that same wind began to blow full circle, returning back to the place of its origin. And in the last century, it began to rattle bones. Ezekiel 37, it began to rattle bones that had long laid scattered and parched and dry. And on May 14, 1948, those bones had come together. And the nation of Israel arose again out of the ashes of history. And a 2,000-year-old prayer had begun to be answered. Can you tell me what that prayer is? Matthew 6 and 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many who've prayed this prayer over the last 2,000 years have failed to grasp its full significance. Where is the kingdom going to come? It's going to come on the earth. To fail to understand the significance of Israel's resurrection in our day is to fail to understand the times. It's to fail to comprehend and see what God is doing in preparation for the second coming of his son. Just as believers have prayed for 2,000 years, the kingdom is coming to earth. For Yeshua, the king himself, is returning to take his rightful place among us. He is going to return to the same mountain, to the same nation, to the same city, and to the same people from which he departed. Now the majority of those who expectantly anticipated and awaited his first coming missed what God was doing in their day missed their special visitation by God. Why? Because they were focused on an earthly kingdom. But today, many in the body of Messiah have so far failed to understand what God is doing in Israel in our day in preparation for Yeshua's second coming. Why? Because they are focused solely on a heavenly kingdom. Yeshua's second coming is not going to be like his first. He is returning to establish his kingdom on the earth. He is coming to take political dominion. He is going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. He is going to render nothing to Caesar. Everything that's Caesar's is going to be his. He is not returning to die on a cross. His enemies are not going to spit in his face. In fact, the scripture says they're going to be hiding in the caves and the rocks of the mountains from his face and from the day of his great wrath. He is not coming back as a lamb, but he is coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is returning as the commander of the host of the Lord, as a man of war to fight on behalf of the nation of Israel which he has resurrected and to establish his throne in Jerusalem. This is what he's going to look like. And believe me, on this day, we will all be very glad that he's our friend, that we love him, that we've opened our hearts to him. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what he will do. Zechariah 14 and 2 through the beginning of verse 4. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. This is what he'll be. Zechariah 14 and 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name one. And because he will not have forgotten his Jewish roots, this is what he's going to require of the nations. Zechariah 14 and 16 and 17. And it shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem... Shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. We've been speaking about times and seasons. And therefore, I wanted to, and this is great, by the way, because this was already introduced this morning. It always makes me feel good when I have a sense that God really is saying something here and has even prepared the way, because I want to talk about the word until, and we've already had a good exhortation about the word until this morning. But, so we've been talking about times and seasons, and therefore I want to conclude by speaking about a very important word in the scripture that relates to time, and that is the word until. Until is a word that's a bridge between what's present and what's future, what is now, and what is to be. We are living in a time when some very wonderful biblical untills regarding the nation of Israel and the Jewish people are coming to pass. First one is Luke 13 and 34 through 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes. When, not if, when you say, Baruch haba Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those who mistakenly believe that God has rejected the Jewish people would like Yeshua to have ended this statement, you shall not see me, period. But he didn't stop there. Instead, he said, you shall not see me until the time comes. The word time in this verse is the Greek word kairos. It means a set time, a fixed occasion in God. There is a set, fixed time and until in the purposes of God when the veil is going to be removed from our people, wholesale. And we are going to behold Yeshua as he truly is, our Mashiach, our Lord, our God. This will be the time of Israel's salvation. Zechariah 12 and 10, and I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will, not they might, but they will look on me whom they've pierced and they will mourn, which of course speaks of repentance. For him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for his firstborn. And as a result of that repentance, Zechariah 13 and 1, in that day, A fountain will be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Romans 11, 25, the end of the verse and the beginning of verse 26. Blindness in part has happened to Israel, what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Resurrected Israel... And our capital city of Jerusalem will be the seat of Yeshua's governmental authority over the earth. He will be welcomed home by cries of Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai, by a people from whom the veil has finally been removed. We are living in a time that God is preparing the place to which Yeshua will return, and the people who are going to welcome him home. It is the time, the set time, to favor Zion. Psalm 102 and 13, you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. If we understand the time in which we're living today, like the children of Issachar, we're going to know what to do. Because this is the time that God has chosen to turn his face back toward the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Should we not also do the same? Because this is the time that God has chosen to build up Zion, to favor her. Should we not also do the same? So let's... Commit ourselves. And I'm sure in a congregation like this, this probably almost doesn't need to be said. So let me say, let us recommit ourselves today, both in prayer and in practice, to respond to the call of Isaiah, to stand with the Lord, to stand with the nation of Israel, to stand with the Jewish people until, and I like this because, like I said, it was really already introduced this morning until God's glorious purpose for all Israel, is fulfilled. Isaiah 62, verse 1, and then 6 and 7, and then I'm going to conclude the biblical part of this message. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, what? Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Verse 6, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest. What? Until he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Can anybody say amen this morning? Amen. Now I I want you to know it's not that I just preach short messages because I actually shudder to think of the length of the messages I used to preach. You know, my youthful zeal—I had no, absolutely no concern for the Tukases of, is that, <laughs> is that proper plural? I don't know. But the Tukases of those that had to sit and listen to me—I'm telling you, I mean, I could literally preach for an hour and a half, and you know, because. All week long, I was preparing whatever I was going to say, and you know, I had no mercy on those that were doing a lot of other things and working really hard all week long and had to sit there and listen to me. So anyway, I hope I'm not getting Rabbi Chaim in trouble. You know, I don't know if he usually preaches for an hour and a half, or I apologize if I am. Again, I really appreciate just you making me feel so at home and, and for your attention. So God bless you, and thank you so much for allowing me to be here.
0: pause and um, just take a moment to pray and then we'll take up the offering and afterwards we want to conclude the service with a time of worship and uh, as well um, if, uh, if you'd like to come up for a prayer we'll have a time of prayer briefly and then conclude Lord God we thank you For raising up Kalev and uh, those who work with him, including his dad. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the favor that you have given them. Thank you, Lord God, that you have put them out in the limelight, not to exalt them, but to exalt you. And uh, we pray, Lord God for your gracious hand to be upon their endeavor. We pray, Lord God, that everything would be done by the leading and empowering of your spirit and in line, Father God, with your counsel, your will. We pray, Lord God, that you would intervene and bring about the need that changes in Israel, Lord God to implement your justice. And through that, Lord, we pray that people will turn to you. Lord God, we pray that you take our offering, multiply it, Lord God, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.